Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Second hour on the Midday Show here on The Fan with Jimmy Cook. I'm Will Haskett. Uh, breaking news. We're going to get into it with our next guest as well here, Jimmy. Uh, breaking news, people who have not caught up on their succession hate me and there are death threats already out there I mean, just a on. bold, literally, bold, play, bold play literally the you. greatest show on television I, and every single person is talking about it so look we've had a good rapport days. we've built eight already. days we've had eight great days rapport. we've built the last you had uh, eight two days. weeks I, I can't i can't be in your corner for this you had eight days that's tough you had eight days uh that's Blow not the breaking the news alert. the breaking news is not that i'm making enemies because <laughs> i had a spoiler of succession the breaking news is that texans gm nick casario has said that they have received a few calls on the number two overall pick and are open to listening to offers. Um, shout out Eddie with this um, with the tweet coming from Ari Myrov with this. Houston has been a tough team to gauge with which direction they'll go in the draft since Casario got there, but there hasn't been any indication that they love a specific player in this draft besides Bryce Young, which means if... Carolina goes C.J. Stroud, number one, and it would still fall that the Texans could get their guy in Bryce Young. But if that pick is then suddenly on the board, and this is why with all of this chatter about six teams or however many teams are talking to Arizona about the number three pick, there's no sense in trading it until you probably get to draft night because of how big that value can get. Yeah, The value of that pick is only going to grow depending on what happens in front of you if you believe in the hype for Richardson or whatever it might be. And it looks as if Houston might be in the same boat, that if Bryce Young comes off the board one, there could be a feeding frenzy for two and then three, and the culture's then sitting there at four. So things have gotten a little bit spicier here in the last few minutes in terms of what the draft is going to look like next Thursday. Get Casey here as we have him, but the last thing I want to say on that, we'll get Casey's thoughts on it. If you're the Texans, you can't move that pick until draft night. And the main reason you can't is if you get finessed by the Panthers, you trade that today, just say for the sake of argument, then the Panthers take C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young was a guy all along, then you're in a world of trouble. So yeah, yeah, that's not a move I think happens until draft night. Yeah. All right, so that has made Colts Nation maybe a little bit more interesting, not just a division rival not knowing exactly what its future is going to be but also what it means for the fourth pick or if it's higher for the Colts coming up next week for more on that we welcome in Casey Vallier you hear him all the time on the Colts radio network Uh, Casey news to you as well as the rest of us here in the last couple of minutes Yes, yes, it is. Hey, thanks for that breakdown because I was unaware. So here we go. I love breaking news. Yeah, <laughs> Casey, what 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 for you is more uh, sinful? Uh, running through a spoiler without a spoiler warning, or trading within division? What would you say? Or, where, where, where's oh worse? man, that there you put me on the spot there, Jimmy. I would assume probably trading within a division just because the spoiler, you know. At least it's aired, you know? So it's Eight right. days ago. Oh, and it's oh, not even yeah. a streamed show. You've had eight days yeah. to catch up with one episode. I'm not. It's yeah. the best show on TV. I'm not apologizing for this. <laughs> I'm not. I, 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 I do admire the 
sticking to the guns. I'm though. sticking do, to it. I'm not apologizing. <laughs> I'll apologize individually. I'll reach out to those who have at least offered death threats. I should probably apologize to those guys. Scratch no, them off the you, list. You, you yeah. Know? Thank, thank you, Casey. Okay. Um, crazy things are going on here with within. I mean, the division has so much. If you believe the smoke around the potential fire that Tennessee wants to get back up in this draft and get into things. I mean, 10 days just can't go by fast enough, or can they, before the draft oh, next Thursday? Man, you are not kidding. I mean, it, it's one of those things where you think you have a top five pick, and you're like, all right, well, this is how the board's going to fall. These are going to be the guys. And, I mean, there is, I think, 25 options for what could possibly happen at four. And now you start hearing, you know, whatever Nick Casario is talking about with Houston. And it takes you back to that Week 18 game where, you know, everybody thought this game doesn't mean anything. The Colts are going out and win because the Texans want to get the number one spot. Then you have that fourth down play where all of a sudden here's a whole change. And now it looks like the Texans might have to trade out because they didn't get their guy. I mean, it is bizarre. And that's that's why one of the things that my colleague Matt Taylor always says, he's like, there's no need for reality TV because the NFL is the best reality TV show there is because there's always drama. There's always something going on. And that is clearly what we're seeing right now. And, I mean, you talk about the draft being in 10 days. I made a comment this morning that I was like, I cannot wait until 8 o'clock on next Thursday, just so that at least we know something is going to happen shortly. Because, I mean, I know maybe it's because the Colts are sitting at four, so there's all kind of speculation, but I feel like the last month and a half has drawn on and on, and we're just kind of ready for it to get around for sure. Casey, as you've been diving through or getting interactions or questions from people. Obviously, the most prevailing question I'm sure he's got is, who are they taking? What are they going to do? Like Levis or like Richardson? Where are they going to land with this whole thing? In terms of just the the craziest, like, out there predictions or just out there interaction you've had on Twitter, or what's been the one that's either made you chuckle the most or what's been the most where it's like, okay, I really am ready for the draft now. It's time to time to get here. I mean, frankly, the one that I keep seeing, I – I can't remember who it was. I saw it uh, last week. We talked to Ian Cummings, uh, Pro Football Network, and his latest mock draft had Anthony Richardson going number one. And I and I, I honestly just kind of laugh at that because you hear about all the potential this guy has, but he's risen up the draft board so much in three months where he hasn't completed a pass, hasn't attempted anything. And it, the, all the concern was, well, he hasn't played much football, but then without him playing football, he has risen so far in some of these mock drafts that that's where I am. I'm just ready to see when it, what is smoke and what is fire because last year all the hype was around. There's not going to be many quarterbacks taken, but Malik Willis might be the guy, and then he falls into the third round with Tennessee, and, and now it almost seems like he's out of favor in Tennessee. They're already looking to go somewhere else. They've got a new GM. So – I just want to know where Anthony Richardson, will Will Levis end up? Because it seems like C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young, they're your clear number one, number two, and a majority of when our teams are evaluating these quarterbacks. Richardson definitely is the wild card with all the upside. So that's why I'm just ready for it to all get here because – I can laugh. I can see. I can think all of this is crazy, but who knows? Maybe Carolina does throw a big wrinkle in the whole thing and take a guy like Anthony Richardson, who makes it all just a project. Or maybe he goes like Bucky Brooks has been projecting in the twenties. Who knows? That's that's where I am. It's just I'm fascinated with four quarterbacks who have just taken over the entire draft where you have no idea whether they go top five, whether only two go in the first round. It's just, it's mind blowing. And, and with the Colts sitting at four, I mean, you're just engulfed in all of it. Needing. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. The quarterback. Casey Vallier, Colt Radio Network with us. Nine picks, part of the draft capital for the Colts next week. We probably won't even know where they're picking in the first round until 845. <laughs> like you said, right. next week. I mean, it could, you know, who knows? They could be right. picking at 815 or 830 or 845. Who knows how it's going to sort of play out? Or it could be later. I take those nine picks. I set, Jimmy's here next to me. He loves setting his over-unders. Uh, nine picks. Do you think the Colts end up with nine picks when this draft is over with? Less or more? That is a great question because Chris Ballard, he is on record numerous times saying how much he loves them picks. So I wouldn't be shocked to see that number grow, but it's also one of those things is I think it's very important around a lot of areas where the value is a lot more important. So you're looking more quality than quantity. So I think there might be an opportunity where if you stay at four, you know, you get a guy there, and then there's also potential you're trading up. So I'm going to go actually lower. I'm I'm thinking more around that seven number. You've got three picks in the fifth round. I think one or maybe two of those can be part of a trade package. So I'm going to go with, you know, my number would probably be like, you know, I'm not a betting man, but probably seven and a half is probably where I would put that number. I agree. Casey Vallier taking some time with us here on The Fan. You can follow him on Twitter at CValier. Colts radio coordinator and in-game studio host for your Indianapolis Colts. Uh, Casey, you knew this question was going to come at some point, so I got to ask, uh, if you've interacted with him, if you've crossed paths, uh, what's the overall vibe right now with Jim Irsay? Does he know the amount of stress that he can cause on the fan base, uh, even by saying literally nothing, <laughs> nothing. in terms of what they're going to yeah. do tomorrow? And additionally, <laughs> should fans be worried about the type of tech that the Colts have to operate with in terms of a draft day trade when it looks like the pictures that he got are thumbnail icons from a MySpace page from 2005? Your thoughts? <laughs> Oh, I I think, uh, honestly, and this is me not having any knowledge about that at all, and it's definitely (laughs) above my pay grade. I think he's just playing into it, and I I love it. You know, it's one of those things where, you know, every now and then you'll see tweets or whatever, and you're like, oh, why did you do that? I think this weekend, bravo. I think it was very well done because you essentially said nothing, but you said a ton, and that's that's kind of what you're doing at this moment, and and you didn't didn't reveal anything, yet you kind of kept the fans going, wait a minute, what? Oh, what are we doing? I think you're just trying to get any any buzz around anything. I think that's ultimately what it was. Have a little fun with it. I'm all for t- tweets like that. You know, Mr. Ursay can do whatever he would like. He's he's earned that right, so by all means. Casey, when we reflect on the last week that was, a lot of opportunity for folks to sit down, to meet each other for the first time, lots of good audio coming out of the complex with Shane Steichen and his first words to the guys they were able to come back for the for some off-season workouts and everything. It's really easy to hit sort of home runs, right? The, the momentum of that change and that energy right. sort of shift and everything in the building. What's something from the last week of kind of having those first football activities of a new staff that maybe got you the most excited? I think, honestly, it's kind of been the buzz I've gotten around Shane Sykin since he was hired. Is 
there's no BS. It is it is all football all the time. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say anything to just get clicks. I'm literally here to coach a football team. And I think when we we heard from some of the players last week, that was the vibe they got. They kind of got a little bit re-energized because there was that sour taste in their mouth from last year. And you're able to have you know a handful of of months to kind of just get away from the get away from the game. You have a bunch of change. So you come back. You see some new faces in the building, and then you're you're led by somebody new, and they can kind of re-energize everything about it. And that's why I really like this time because, you know, it is voluntary. You don't have to be here, but you're looking at the Colts. They got, I'm not exactly sure on the numbers, but really good participation. Your leaders are here, and they're kind of right on line with what Shane Steichen's message is, and that's what I like. I like when I talk to DeForest Buckner, and he's got this huge smile on his face because – I'm not going to lie with you. The last time I talked with DeForest Buckner was after that incredible play with the Texans game that that caused, you know, it looked to be a season victory at the end into a loss. I mean, he was about as angry as I've ever seen DeForest Buckner in the locker room because, I mean, these games mean a lot to these players. If if you're one of those people that think they make a lot of money and they just go out and play, they want to win. And and that's that's one of the things. The last time I saw DeForest Buckner, he was about as low as I had seen him. So seeing him here in the building re-energized, excited about the path that they're going, that's that's what does it for me because that gets me re-energized for the upcoming season because these are the guys that are going to go out and win football games for you. And if they're in, if they're buying in, that's what you want to see. Casey, you mentioned DeForest Buckner, which leads into my next question. He talked about last week how he doesn't like the world rebuild. He had to deal with it in San Francisco as a rookie. And, you know, he, he doesn't like to hear that word. But having that type of mentality from a veteran to be able to kind of set the pace, set the tone for, hey, they might be saying outside this is a rebuild, but this is how we get to where we want to go. How beneficial is kind of having that mentality or that you know, leadership from a guy that's gone through it to maybe, I don't want to say speed up the process, but get the, the train on the right aspect of the tracks where the Colts want to be. I think it's huge. I mean, I mean, you've seen this every year. I mean, you see teams go from last to first every, I mean, almost every single season. We saw it last year with the Jags. I mean, they were a team that was holding the first overall pick in the 2022 draft, and there they are playing in the playoffs. So you realize how quickly it can turn around in the NFL and ultimately you just need a bunch of guys that can buy in, believe in the same thing, and you just need a couple things to go your way. And I think ultimately DeForest Buckner is a guy that knows that. He's been there. He's seen it. You heard it from Michael Pittman. He was very upset about the way the season went. He's got a bunch of goals and a bunch of ways, but ultimately he is – I've seen a bit of a change in, in what Pitt has come in. He, he's taken on more of that leadership role. Um, so I think ultimately when you have these guys that are your key pieces, if they can lead by example and kind of get everybody believing in that same mantra, I think you can see a big change because ultimately, Jimmy, I know you and I, I'm sure, Will, you felt the same way that last year the signing, the Matt Ryan signing, everybody thought this team's a dark horse potential Super Bowl team. Well, a lot of that core is still here. So if you can get you know good play out of the offensive line, good play the quarterback spot, this team still has a really good defense that played really well last year, and you add in a healthy Shaquille Leonard. This is a team that has a handful of pieces in place that rebuild really doesn't have to happen. It can just kind of be a retool. You can kind of gear up. 
a lot of players, Casey, that are going to be familiar faces on that offensive side of the ball, but within a new offensive structure, you mentioned the leadership roles that some of them have to take on. Do you think any, you see any of them in different on-field sort of roles, how they're utilized, how they play? Has there been sort of that initial conversation about how the personnel may just be tweaked a little bit to utilize either their talents or to have to fit within a system that they're now going to have to learn? Yeah, that's something that definitely over the next handful of weeks and in the months as we get closer to training camp, we're definitely going to see that. But I would assume that's one of the things that we continue to hear about Shane Steichen is that and one of the things that I kind of like that he brought in a very young staff. And part of it is because you have to evolve. You have to be able to do things that are a little different from what the NFL used to be. Um, so I think we're starting to see, you know, that the evolution of the college game kind of sprinkling in into the NFL. And that's one of the things that I'm really anxious to see what this team does. I mean, you've got guys like Michael Pittman Jr., Alec Pierce in place at your wide receiver spot, Jonathan Taylor, a healthy Jonathan Taylor. Everybody knows what that means. So if you can find a way to kind of add some wrinkles to have these guys doing different things, I think that is the key. I think that's why Philadelphia was so successful with Shane Steichen is because they just didn't line up and do the same thing they were able to add different wrinkles inside their offense. They used guys in different ways. So that's where really what I'm excited to see, kind of what this offensive mentality is going to be with Shane Steichen and staff to see, hey, we got this guy. We can use him here, here, and here. But there's also a little bit of ways that we can use him here. That's kind of what I'm looking forward to. Casey Value with us, radio coordinator, in-game studio host for the Colts. You can follow him on Twitter at Valier Colts. Joining us here on The Fan. Casey, I asked you earlier about you know what the most ridiculous nugget or what the most ridiculous aspect you've learned throughout this process prepping for the draft. In terms of, obviously, not who the Colts are going to take, but just broad picture as you've gotten to know these prospects more, where has been the most rise in stock or rise in impression for you of, oh, you know what, I, I think that guy could be a good pro in terms of just the prospects you've examined uh, through the Colts Podcast Network? No, absolutely. I mean, you know, our big our big topic that we've talked about here at Nauseam, like you guys have, is quarterback. So right. Anthony Richardson definitely fits that bill. But for me, honestly, I think it's been kind of that consistent talk throughout. I know that people are putting Richardson above some of these guys, but guys like Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud, who have just continued just to go out and show what they have done, that's one of the things that's impressed me. But there's been a handful of guys that we saw at the Combine that – I can't pronounce his name. There's a defensive tackle. He he played a little bit of defensive end and defensive tackle at Northwestern. His name is – I don't even want to try to butcher it because it's really, really poor. But he was a guy that we talked to Jim Nagy, and he said at the Senior Bowl his grade was like a third rounder, and now he's projected to be in that – back into the first round. And those are the kind of guys that impress me. I go through his bio, and it's like, you know, he, he's a defensive tackle, ran a four five forty, so he, he's got these traits you just can't teach. He he looked like a truck. when I, I was walking by the podium at the Combine, and I did literally did a double take because I was like, that might be the largest human being I've ever seen. <laughs> One of the most toned guys. So he was a guy I had my eye on. So I can't pronounce his name. I apologize for that. But if you look up the Northwestern defensive tackle, you'll probably hear his name 
at the end of the first round coming up next Thursday, he's a guy that I really have wa- loved to watch his tape and watch him rise up the draft board. Casey, every year it feels it's, it's kind of odd with so many players coming out that some years it's like, this is a good draft in terms of depth for X position, but this year might be a little bit weak in whatever Y position might be, and it fluctuates from year to year. We talked about the, the draft picks that the Colts have and the ability and the flexibility, I guess, you have when you have three fifth-round picks of maybe being able to package and move up and get another third or a fourth if you find a guy that's on your board that you absolutely have to have. Give me a a position, maybe not of need for the Colts, but that you've heard there's going to be a lot of steals at whatever this might, position might be to where you wouldn't be surprised if you saw a team or maybe even the Colts make a move because there's going to be someone still floating there in the third or fourth round that you just kind of have to go up and get because they could be a difference maker. I think there's really there's two positions, and I would say one of them wouldn't be a need. I would say tight end, very, very deep tight end class. And there's a handful of these tight ends that are kind of the do-it-all guys. I mean, guys that block and also guys that are very good in the, in the passing game, which that's kind of what you're looking for. When you lost Jack Doyle, the guy that could do it all, you, you saw a little regression in that tight end group, and now you're trying to figure out, okay, we've got this tight end who's mainly a blocker and a guy that can, you know, Jelani Woods, who's going to be able to go out there and be that red zone target, potentially make some big plays for you. If you can get a tight end that can do it all, it just helps you out from, a, from an offensive standpoint, kind of being able to have, if you need that sixth blocker on the edge or if you need a guy that can go out and do it like a Jack Doyle, and it sounds like this is a very deep tight end graph. Now, if you look at the Colts' depth chart, they've got a handful of tight ends. You've got Moali Cox coming back, Jelani Woods, a guy who really tore up in the in the offseason last year, Drew Ogletree during training camp until his ACL. He was a guy who was making a lot of promise. And then you have Kylan Granson. So you got four guys with you know a lot of promise in that tight end room. So I would say it's going to be hard you know to really make it a priority in the draft, but it sounds like it's a very deep class. Now, the other position of need – and I, excuse me, I think another position that is very deep is at cornerback. I would not be shocked to see you take a couple of them if you're a Colts perspective because the what you lost, you trade away Stephon Gilmore, Brandon Faison goes away in free agency, and you don't sign anybody. So right now, when you look at the depth, you've got Kenny Moore, Isaiah Rogers, and Dallas Flowers who have played in this system last year with Gus, with Gus Bradley. So I think corner is definitely a position you're going to need to address, and it sounds like it's a very deep cornerback group. So you might be able to get a couple guys in that. Casey Value with us of the Colts Radio Network. Casey, I want to zoom out for a second. I know you're following NFL news as closely as anybody. Another big contract laid out today, this time for the Philadelphia Eagles and Jalen Hurts. Five years, $255 million contract extension, $179.3 million in total guarantees. Your thoughts on that contract, but also kind of what it does for the quarterback market moving forward. I know this is still like a big picture zoom out for the Colts whenever, obviously, they have to find the guy first, but that's something they'll deal with. They hope so anyway in the years to come. Your overall thoughts on what that does for the QB market? Oh, I mean, it's it's one of those things, those numbers. I mean, it's incredible what the numbers continue to be when you look at new quarterback contracts. I mean, good for Jalen Hurts. I mean, this is a guy who, you know, he was – he was passed over by Tua at Alabama, goes to Oklahoma, kind of has a resurgence of his college career. Still many thought, not really an NFL quarterback. So he's had so much stacked against him. And then you just saw it all come through last year. I know a lot of that had to do with, you know, Shane Steichen. So we'll see what Nick Sirianni and company can do in Philadelphia to continue elevating the play of Jalen Hurts. 
Um, but it, it's it's impressive. I mean, he seems like a stand-up individual, so I'm very, very happy for him. But one of the things that it does, it just continues to up that quarterback market. I mean, Jimmy, you might be in the best spot being a Chiefs guy with the with the oh, it's, contract. It's because in like three or four years, you might laugh at the amount of money mm-hmm. that other guys are making yep. when Patrick Mahomes is still competing for those MVPs and Super Bowls. So it, it's going to be interesting to see what it continues to do. I, I would assume the next guy's in line. I would assume Lamar Jackson's going to get a big payday. I don't know if that's going to be in Baltimore, if it's going to be somewhere else. And then maybe a Justin Herbert. So these are guys that are going to continue to break that market. Joe Burrow's probably not far behind. So it, it's one of those things where the numbers, I just kind of laugh because it's like, oh, well, what's the next one going to look like? I mean, you hear $255 million. That, that's unbelievable. Um, but that's just kind of what you pay for a quarterback. And you talk about the Colts have to find their guy. I think that you talk to every owner, they want to pay their quarterback that much money because when you're paying that quarterback that much money, you are probably doing what Jalen Hurts is doing and leading a team to the Super Bowl. So that's where you are. You, you want to be able to pay that kind of money, but you have to be able to find that kind of guy. $179 million of it uh, guaranteed. Uh, Casey, yeah. uh, great stuff. Um, good news for you in the time that it took to do this interview. We're now down to 10 days, 6 hours, 35 minutes, and 56 <laughs> seconds until the draft uh, kicks off next Thursday. Nobody so you've counting or anything, Yeah, you've bought Bought yourself some time <laughs> leading up to next week uh, when we can finally put this uh, crazy offseason at least behind us to that point and then move forward with the expectations of whatever shuffles out of that one. Casey, thanks for your time. Awesome, guys. Thank you so much. Thanks, Casey. That's Casey Valier of the Colts Radio Network. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. It is the Fan Midday Show. That's Jimmy Cook. I'm Will Haskett. Glad you could join us on a Monday. Caught up in a massive sports week third race of the young IndyCar season and one of the great stops each and every year out in Long Beach race that dates back to the mid-1970s and it has been a very friendly racetrack over the last oh, half decade or so for Andretti Autosport who gets another driver into victory lane yesterday Kyle Kirkwood wins for the first time in his young IndyCar career led 53 of the 85 laps En route to his first IndyCar victory, teammate Romain Grosjean ended up second in that race. To talk more about it, the man who knows more about IndyCar than anybody I know. He is the great Kevin Lee. It's been a long time since I've been in this building, old boss. How are you, Kevin? I don't even get in very much, so we're about (laughs) even there. Uh, Since COVID, we all learned how to kind of do things differently and, and work remotely quite a bit and you need to know more people if i'm the person that knows the most you need to get out more <laughs> well i just i stop at you so i'm sure that there's plenty um great win yesterday for kyle kirkwood uh, maybe a greater win for andretti autosport across the board just kind of given their young roster and and going to a place where they have success sort of, i guess handicap how important yesterday was for those at the top in terms of needing to have that finish it was really significant. So they, they've shown the pace, and they've been fast, especially in street races, street courses. Uh, they were dominant in qualifying at St. Petersburg, and it all went wrong with all four cars getting involved in crashes, and really none their their fault. Uh, so that was a bit of an anomaly. They weren't very good, particularly at Texas, but they expected to be good here. So it wasn't a big shocker that, that they were strong in qualifying, but they needed to finish it off. Kyle Kirkwood needed to finish one off. Uh, he's probably the most heralded junior formula driver, especially American, 
that we've seen in at least a quarter century or so with the success he'd had. And he had a really rough rookie season last year with A.J. Foyt racing. And and the Foyt team, it's been a long time since they've had success, and he was used to winning. And I think he would admit that he probably at times pushed a little bit too much. And there were some things that were not his fault. There were some things that were not the team's fault either. Uh, But it didn't go well. But he gets into a better car, and then you don't have to press as much and you get a chance to really finish the job. And he admitted uh, to me a couple of days ago that, yeah, I am feeling a little bit of pressure. I'm not going to lie about it, so I I need to convert something. And I I feel like you know a podium would have probably been good enough to kind of stop some conversation, but getting a win, now I kind of fear for the rest because this guy is immensely talented, and now that he's got the monkey off his back and has some confidence, I'm not going to say he's going to win a championship or anything this year, but he might win again this year, and he might consistently run up front whenever they have a good car. Kevin, we talk all the time in sports about that 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 maiden win, that first victory across whatever it is, whether it's your rookie in the NBA or whether you're a driver on the IndyCar circuit. When you talk about that experience, and, and Kyle kind of put it into perspective yesterday, saying he was just happy to just win the pole, but it's incredible for him. He's over the moon right now was his quote. What is that like in IndyCar to capture that first win? I think that first one is is the one that kind of opens things up. And Marcus Erickson has talked a lot about this as well. This is a guy that uh, had immense success coming up to the Formula One world. And then you get to Formula One and you were the backmarker team and you run between 15th and 20th every week for five years and you lose your confidence. And he comes over to IndyCar and, and the team he was with, Schmidt Peterson at the time, was not fantastic and he didn't have great results. So he didn't have confidence and it started to grow and now he's a different driver now that he's won multiple races and he's a legit championship contender. So um, no matter what you do, once you have some success, yes, you believe in yourself, but I think that's just that little extra edge that comes with not just hoping for it, but expecting it. Kevin Lee joining us, reacting to the Acura Grand Prix of Long Beach yesterday. Kirkwood's victory takes him to fifth in the standings. He mentioned Marcus Erickson first in the points after three races have been run this year. And because of an early mechanical issue, Scott Dixon finishes last in that race and falls to sixth. Pato Awards led more laps than anybody who hasn't won this year. He's second in the standings. It's an interesting year for me, Kevin, because again, I don't, I don't know the backstory as much as you know. You just painted the picture of how talented Kyle Kirkwood sort of is. I, I feel like, from my perch, we're in this sort of trans transition period in terms of stars of this sport. And as more and more eyeballs get closer to the entire month of May, and we've got one more race before we get to the road course here, and then obviously the grand spectacle at the end of of the month of May, where is this sport in terms of, I'm not saying the passing of the torch, but trying to sort of create what those next household names are in the sport? Because this to me is a really fascinating year when you look at all those names at the top of the standings. I think you have kind of two groups and it it could be the perfect scenario that you have the legends of the sport that are still strong like scott dixon like elio castroneves especially when you're talking about indianapolis tony canon's going to be back at the indianapolis 500 for his last go and he's in a potential winning car willpower these are all-time greats in the sport and then you have young really talented and interesting people uh, like Pato Award. He's, he's a fascinating young man. Newgarden's kind of in the middle. I think you could almost put Newgarden, yeah. even though he's barely 33 years old, in that category with those veterans. But he's got another decade if he wants it. 
after winning two championships so far. Pelot is still a rising star and already a champion. McLaughlin is in that category of really good and also really interesting. The people, when they get to know him, are going to like him more. Herta, young superstar, still 23. And I think this will be, what, his fifth Indy 500 yeah, wild. coming up. So, uh, And then you add Kirkwood to this list, too. So it, it's a nice mix, and yet you want to start developing those those young drivers. That's something that IndyCar dealt with. Yes, the split was a big deal in 96, but it also coincided with many of the legends of the sport retiring within about a five-year span. And I think NASCAR has gone through that in the last few years with many of their big names going away, that they're in a transition period now, too, trying to reestablish people that uh, drivers that people love. To that end, Kevin, there's obviously plenty of ways for, for fans to continue or the, the sport itself to grow even further. Obviously, two races, as Will mentioned there, until the 500, of course, you can follow your work and the entire network's work on NBC Sports and, of course, Trackside here on 107.5 The Fan. But when we look at, we had Mark James on last week, and he mentioned the significance of the docu-series 100 Days to Indy. From your perspective, what are you kind of monitoring with that and how insightful, not just for sport growth, but just all levels of IndyCar fans, do they hope to have this cover all those bases over the course of the run to the 500? So the idea is to introduce the sport to people that don't have access to it or have not uh, been in or interested in it. So it it works out. And I've seen the premiere. They had a premiere here on Wednesday night in Los Angeles. And I've gotten to know the producers a little bit. I'm one of the people that they sit down with and talk with and, you know, kind of help advise them because they're new to the sport and they don't know a lot about it, especially coming in. But that's fine. Uh, they've got us. We need other people <laughs> yeah. to be interested. And these are the same people, many of them at least, that produce Full Swing, the golf uh, show yep. on Netflix, which I've watched most of, and I think it's great. And it's the same kind of thing. And it's kind of an internal debate within our little world. Should they be exploring uh, more of the rivalries and, and finding hate and contention? And the first episode doesn't really do that. And the more I think about it, I think that's probably right. One, because there's not enough time. And two, the whole idea behind this, at least from IndyCar's standpoint, is we want people to learn something about these drivers and uh, find something that they latch onto and want to watch them more. I think, and people have told me this, that have no interest in golf, that have watched Full Swing and watched more of the Masters than they ever had because they felt like they knew some of the characters And that's what you're hoping with this program as well. It's not on a traditional network. It's on the CW. It's produced by Vice. It'll be streamed and available to download. Uh, But that's a younger audience. And that's what every sport is trying to do is is to get younger. But I I will say this. uh, Hardcore fans will still like it. There's nothing in it. Uh, We're all a little bit worried. Are they going to kind of manufacture storylines? Is it going to be disingenuous? And, And no, I don't think so. I think it serves the purpose for true IndyCar fans. And it hopes hopefully gets you to learn a little bit more about some of the characters. Yeah, and as someone who spends every waking day on the PGA Tour, for the most part, and my, I didn't learn a ton from Full Swing. Most of those guys I knew or knew a lot of the backstory, but I picked up a couple of things. And again, it's not a, yeah. it's enjoyable to watch from my standpoint because you get a few things, but I can't imagine how enjoyable it was for other people to watch who wanted to learn a lot. And that's and that's the key, right? It's, it's, you're trying to attract 
eyeballs from a completely different location and i had to go into it with that understanding of look i'm they're not going to teach me a whole lot but i could learn a few things from it yeah it's it was for me (laughs) yeah which is totally great uh kevin uh testing later on this week glad they're not testing today there will be no testing today with as bad as it is outside Uh, what are we looking for this week in terms of what that might mean moving forward so this sort of starts the month of may it's the start of practice for the indianapolis 500 thursday and Friday, and we'll have it wall-to-wall coverage. Uh, so let's let's get ready for whatever twelve or thirteen hours on Peacock, starting at I think eleven a.m. on Thursday. Eleven to one veterans, one to three rookies, and those that haven't been racing full time, which is a pretty big list. Uh, and then everyone until maybe six o'clock that day, and then I think it's scheduled for most of the day. And sometimes the schedule changes a little bit. For example, if it looks like it might rain on Friday. They might extend things on Thursday. Uh, but it's a first chance to kind of learn what you have because just because you were good at Texas does not mean you're going to be good at, at Indianapolis. So it comes at you pretty quick when you get the four days of practice in May. So they'll want to get started. And especially for those that haven't been in a car for a while, this is a great chance to kind of dust off the rust. You know, the, the Tony Canons of the world. Catherine Legg is going to be out there. and She hasn't been in an Indy car in 10 years. So that's going to be important for her. Kevin, when you look up and down the standings, we continue the road to the 500. What's been the biggest thing on IndyCar at this point in time? Maybe surprised you, maybe has impressed you the most at this stage? Well, certainly up until this weekend, it would have been Hukos Hollinger racing with what they've been able to do in the first two races. Uh, Callum Eilat had finished, I think, fifth and ninth in the two races. And Augustine Canapino, who none of us knew anything about, and he knew nothing about this type of racing, basically racing a type of stock car in Argentina, touring cars, and came over, and and we all assumed even his team owner said, yeah, he's probably going to be last for a while, uh, but it'll get better, and he wasn't last. And he did what he had to do and and scored points and finished 12th in the first two races. It was a a tougher go for him this weekend, but I think that's been the one thing that kind of stands out. Maybe the resurgence of Andretti Autosport is, is something, even though Yesterday was the first result. They've been pretty strong all season long, and they're back in the mix. And Errol McLaren, I think, is proving that they are for real. There are just a lot of contenders. It's not just Penske Ganassi. It's Errol McLaren, and I think it's Andretti again, too. He's Kevin Lee. A lot of storylines to follow. We're getting closer and closer to the month of May, and uh, I th- I'll be very interested in watching how it all plays out this week. Always nice to see who's got even a little bit of speed. We know it won't have a, a huge impact on the race, but it's always good to see kind of who's got things tuned up. We'll be watching as always. Thanks, Kev. All right. Good to talk to you, Will. That is Kevin Lee. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. This is the Fan Midday Show. Along with Will Haskett, I am Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison, guiding us smoothly throughout the afternoon. Speaking of smooth... Not only was he smooth last night for his opening playoff broadcast as the voice of the Timberwolves on Valley Sports North, but also kind enough to come back to the roots with us a little bit. It's Michael Grady. MG, how you doing? I'm doing I'm doing well. You guys really know how to welcome a guy. Turn <laughs> of the Mac, really? 
Eddie Garrison looking looking out for you. He, he, he had that he had that lineup ready to roll. Oh man, man! That's the only pre-production we did for the entire show was the entry music to the sec, to the third hour. That's all we did. Oh, oh, memories. Uh, MG, I, I want to pick up on a positive note. I know you and I joked about you know obviously not the start that the Timberwolves wanted to this series, but but for you, take us through the lead up to that first playoff game on the call for Bally Sports North. We, we've obviously tossed the roses around on this journey, but what was that like for you, my friend? Uh, it was great. It was great. My first my first playoff call was uh, a year ago um, with uh, the Nets. Right. I think it was game two in Boston, and um, that was a great experience. Boston's amazing. And, you know, first year with the, the Timberwolves and from a play-by-play, from a storytelling perspective, because, you know, as you guys know, the, the last thing we want is boring. You know, right. give us interesting. If you, you know, so uh, they weren't terrible this season. They weren't spectacular. They had great moments. They had low moments. You know, your typical ups and downs of a long season. And, uh, you know, punching their ticket to the playoffs, and they just kind of ran out of gas, uh, you know, early in that game uh, yesterday. Altitude, two playing games, and Denver looked fresh. But for me personally, I tell you what really stood out to me. Uh, Gus Johnson was on the call for TNT, and he is—he uh, has long been one of my inspirations in watching him with college basketball, with CBS, and other amazing broadcasts. And and I uh, really looked up to him. And so to be able to chat with him before the game and 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 um, see how happy he was for me because he's a former Minnesota Timberwolves play-by-play guy himself. Um, and before he moved on to do amazing things. That was a real, that was a real treat for me, no question. Yeah, that's cool. Michael Grady joining us. Uh, Got to talk a little bit about this game, but I want to talk about it more and yeah. frame it more, Michael, within sort of the conversation we've been having today about the Pacers going into this off season and how you assemble a roster to try and be successful at this time of year. Obviously, a Timberwolves team that made the big swing last summer to try and put together a roster that I think in these types of moments, and again, one game does not dictate how a series is going to go. But in watching this past weekend it's just hard to ignore how much big time players and stars matter when we get to this type of this this time of the season how much of that in terms of that the risk that had to be taken on to be able to make that happen is kind of the philosophy you would expect to see teams that need to make that step take yeah you i mean it's true you can't win without you know elite players um taking a step further you can't really win uh, put yourself in championship consideration, in my opinion, um, without going over the luxury tax. Uh, that's a very that's that's the thing that a lot, a lot of owners don't want to get into. But a lot of owners that win championships, um, you know, they throw caution to the wind with stuff like that. I don't mean in terms of just recklessly throwing people money, but if you have someone who's valuable and makes you a championship contender, and you don't want to disrupt disrupt continuity, then you have to pay your people. And so we've seen that, obviously, with Golden State, with the amazing players that they drafted over the years and keeping them in San Francisco or in the Bay Area, I should say. Um, Milwaukee could have lost Giannis Antetokounmpo, but they made a commitment to him to go over the luxury tax, spend money, bring in a Drew Holiday, put pieces around Giannis to win an NBA championship. And so if you have a, a special player, especially one that – you feel as a centerpiece that you can build around, then you have to be willing to do whatever it takes to surround that player with talent. Because if you don't, again, guys talk around the league. 
You know, oh, you, oh, oh, they did this for you. They did that for you. They brought this player in for you. They take care of you this way. Dang, I'm over here trying to get help, and I'm struggling through an 82 game season to maybe make the playoffs or maybe get to the second round. So I think it's imperative that if you have that centerpiece, like I said, to surround them with talent and then roll the dice and see what happens. That's the only way to win. MG, when you look at this series, I mean, obviously it's the top seed in the West and the Denver Nuggets, and I'm looking forward to just as much as I was last night, what the environment's like in Minnesota. These are two fan bases that you know are as passionate as any when it comes to playoff basketball. They're both very, very hungry. But when you look at last night, where did things start to really get away from the Timberwolves in your mind, and what kind of adjustments do you need to see as this series goes on? Well, it was a slow start. Second quarter, things started to go the opposite direction. Denver had a nice lead at halftime. And then in the third quarter, everything just went off the rails. There was no rhythm whatsoever. They were turning the basketball over. They were getting bad shots. They couldn't hit anything. They were sub-40% shooting for most of the game. Couldn't hit threes. The rhythm that we saw in the playing games just was not there. And the big question mark, and we talk about this a lot in football, especially back in the days with the Colts of Peyton Manning on whether or not they were hurt by having a bye week because they just didn't look sharp in their first uh, first playoff game. And with the whole playing setup now, the higher seeds all basically get a week off while the 7, 8, 9, 10 teams battle each other in the playing games. And so the question is always going to be, okay, these play-in teams, once they punch their ticket, they've been playing games and they're in rhythm and they're, in, they're hitting their stride while the higher seeds, they have a week off. What are they doing? Are they resting? Yeah, they're getting healthy, but what is their rhythm going to look like? So that was one of the big question marks coming into last night. But Denver looked fresh. They looked more aggressive. And, again, the Timberwolves looked higher um, at altitude after playing two games, a hard-fought game against the Lakers on Tuesday. A blowout victory over OKC on Friday. Why to uh, fly to Denver on Saturday and then you play on Sunday? Uh, they just they just looked flat, really. And so with two days off tomorrow, today and tomorrow and coming on Wednesday, I expect to see a completely different Minnesota Timberwolves team. Denver is still heavily favored in this series, and they should be. They're a number one seed, but this series is not going to look like a thirty-point blowout each game of the series. This is the first time since MG was doing updates for Bob Lovell on the weekends back in 2004 that the Timberwolves have made back-to-back playoff appearances, <laughs> Michael. So there's there, there is some uh, there's some there's some momentum building for this team, but obviously they wanted to take that sort of next step. The next step would be winning a series in this playoff year. That's a big task against the number one seed, but you mentioned you don't expect to see things in game two the way you saw in game one. What about the makeup of this team that you've seen through the year gives them that potential to maybe find a gear that could make this a series against the Nuggets? That every time they've been slapped, they've found a way to bounce back. I mean, every single time this season. There have been countless disappointing losses over the year, over the year, and they were all self-inflicted wounds. I mean, you see this really with every NBA team. There's going to be games where, oh, this should be an easy W, and they just looked awful. And then there are stretches of games where there's a losing streak where you say, I don't know how they're going to recover. They're just not going to make the postseason. I don't know if they're going to make the play-in at all. And every time that they, it looks like it, they've hit rock bottom, they bounce back in a big way. And that's kind of been the story of the season. Their growth over the coming years 
is not really dropping those games to the Houstons of the world. Um, they dropped both games to the Charlotte Hornets this season. Um, they lost to Portland when Portland was playing all G League guys and picking guys up off the street late in the season. Um, they had some horrible losses, and it's a real sign of immaturity with this group, and that will get them to a higher seat in future seasons when they take care of those games. But those games put them in the predicament that they're in right now. At the same time, even though they had a bunch of disappointing losses, they always seem to bounce back in a big way. So I fully expect that. That doesn't mean that they're going to win on Wednesday night, but it's not going to be the drubbing that we saw last night. I expect them to play with a lot more pride. I expect Towns to hit shots that he was missing last night. Anthony Edwards continuing to be active. I think Gobert was underutilized in the game last night and some really weak passes to him inside. So, uh, yeah, this is a, it's an interesting team. It's an interesting group of guys. I mean, we had a fight in a game against New Orleans in the last game of the regular season between Gobert and Kyle Anderson, of course. Yeah. Jaden McDaniels, one of the best perimeter defenders in the NBA, punched a wall and broke his hand. And somehow they still won that basketball game. So that's really been the story of the season. Michael Grady with us. You can follow him on Twitter at Grady, the TV voice of the Minnesota Timberwolves on Bally Sports North. MG, obviously you're focused in on your series, T-Wolves, Nuggets, but when you look big picture NBA playoffs to this point, what series has caught your eye or caught your eye the most that you're looking forward to seeing how that plays out outside of your own? I mean, you know, uh, you know, coming up in Indiana, you always have this underdog mentality, whether it's Pacers and the Knicks or Pacers and uh, the Bulls and just the way that basketball is just in the DNA of the city. And when the team is on a roll and doing something special, it just captures everybody's imagination and everybody is beaming with pride with what the team is doing. And I say all that to say what's happening in Sacramento, making their first postseason in 16 years and the electricity in that game won against the, against the Golden State Warriors I mean, you, I, don't, I don't care if you've never been a Kings fan before. Like, you just have to smile seeing how much it meant to those players um, and how much it meant to the community uh, that they've completely turned things around. And, I mean, it, uh, I, I, we had three, two or two games in Sacramento this season, and it was probably the loudest building um, that I've been in this season, um, hands down. So, I mean, they, the – the excitement is back. It's long been one of the best fan bases. They just haven't had anything to cheer about. And I've been really happy and, and proud uh, to see what they've been able to do this year and what they did in game one against, against the Warriors. So there's a lot of intriguing series. Um, that's the first one that comes to mind. I think Clippers and Phoenix is going to be a, a fantastic series. Um, I hate the injuries that we're seeing because yeah. I want Memphis and the Lakers to be a you know, to be a long, hard series, but we'll see what, what's happening with John Morant. But um, uh, I'm, in, I'm enjoying I, – I've enjoyed game one. I'm looking forward to the game tonight, and uh, I just hope to see a competitive battle. It's been a wild season, and I'm expecting a wild playoff. Michael, injuries aside, you've seen you know so much of this great talent in the Western Conference this year. This is always a time of year if you're just kind of getting into the NBA, you're starting to watch some games other than your team throughout the year. You're trying to kind of find a story to sort of root for in players. I think it's easy to maybe say, is De'Aaron Fox kind of that guy that you're like, man, it's going to be so good to have more of a spotlight on him? Or, or give me some other players that you're like, man, it's going to be great to have a national game sort of recognition for some of the guys that we'll be seeing now in these primetime games. Mm, okay, off the top of my head, De'Aaron Fox is definitely one. He just made his first All-Star game 
Um, that was first-time All-Star uh, Anthony Edwards with the Timberwolves. Um, he's kind of beat up right now, um, but he's a special, special talent, and he's one of the lone reasons that the Timberwolves are in the playoffs because of his play while Carl Anthony Towns was hurt. So those are the first two guys that jump out at me in terms of young guys really doing something special. I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'm missing some other guys as I'm going quickly through my head. Um, but I think Fox is the guy, and I think the main thing is what he's been able to do in crunch time this season. You know, his numbers have been great over the year, but, you know, the NBA has given out a clutch award, and De'Aaron Fox is on that list along with Jimmy Butler and one other player. And uh, De'Aaron Fox has just been ridiculous. He's been unstoppable in fourth quarters this season. And I think it's awesome for folks being able to check him out. And that one-two punch with Malik Monk coming off the bench, we, of course, know uh, what Sabonis can do for sure. Um, but they're just a well-rounded machine. Uh, they're not going to win a championship this season, but they're really putting everybody on notice and they're building something special in Darren Fox being ahead of that. I think it's great for the NBA because you have your mainstays for sure and your Giannis and your, your, uh, what's happening in Philadelphia and Embiid probably going to win an MVP this season. Miami with Jimmy Butler. Uh, and then, of course, in the Western Conference with LeBron, Golden State. I mean, you have your teams that you're used to seeing and Kevin Durant now with Phoenix. But I think it's great that these young and upcoming teams are really, again, putting everybody on notice and saying that they're going to be around here for a while. So, for me, that's, that's really fun. That's really fun to see. Also, from a – I know we're not supposed to like the Knicks, but I really like Jalen Brunson. Yeah. And I like, I, like what the, I like what the Knicks are doing. Uh, I think the NBA is more interesting when the Knicks are at least competitive, um, for sure. And so I think, um, I think that's great. It's a fun series with Cleveland. And then last but not least, you know, my, my old stomping ground um, uh, still feels like a home to me, Brooklyn. And having to trade Kyrie Irving away, having to trade Kevin Durant away, and then you get back your Spencer Dinwiddie's, your Dorian Finney-Smith, and then from Phoenix you get Cam Johnson and you get in Mikael Bridges. And Mikael's always been, always been known as a, you know, a two-way player. He may be able to get you 15, maybe on a special night, get you 21. He's going to play lockdown defense on multiple positions. But since he's gotten to Brooklyn, he's been like a 28 points per game guy. And I think his story has been one of the special ones in the NBA this season as well. Mikael Bridges has been uh, amazing. Um, they're, in a, they're in a tough series with Philadelphia, but I think folks in Brooklyn have to feel good that, you know, they traded away two superstars, but they may have a budding superstar in Bridges. MG, I'm wondering what your overall synopsis from afar or takeaways from afar, because obviously you're on the grind of the 82-game season, so I know you're limited to being able to you know, mm-hmm. catch up on it on highlights or follow it from afar, but I know it has a special place in your heart. What your synopsis was of the Pacers' season as a whole and kind of where you see what they're trying to build here in Indiana? Uh, you know, it just felt like the fun was back. Um and and to me, that's what, what makes me happy is that folks were excited about going to games. There's nothing worse than knowing that you're in a somewhat of a re- rebuilding mode and you have a boring squad. I mean, that's, that's not providing the incentive to want to turn on the tube and watch Chris and Q or, 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 or head out to the field house. It's, it, so the fact that I know it didn't end the way that they wanted it to and injuries and other things getting in the way, but there was a stretch there where they were, I mean, a league pass must-watch team. 
and and that was I mean that that's that's fun. I mean, every game competitive and what Halliburton's doing this season and seeing Matherin come up and show what he was able to do and had a stretch where, you know, you had to talk about him being, dang, is he in rookie of the year consideration? Dang, is he in sixth man of the year consideration? I mean, those are fun conversations to have, you know, the season that, you know, Buddy Heald had shooting from, shooting from deep and just a competitive way that Rick Carlisle had the guys playing and battling. Um, I, it's something that the fan base can take pride in and be optimistic in terms of the future as long as they continue to add pieces to get stronger and stronger and not necessarily taking a step backwards. But, man, I mean, some, some fun games to watch. And the future is bright. You know, there's still work to be done. Um, but I was really proud watching the guys, you know, on League Pass and, and still staying in touch with people over there and, and, and what they're doing. It's really, really fascinating, really fun to watch. We all want the Pacers to be right where you're at right now, MG, which is involved in the playoffs and being a part of it. Obviously, you mentioned not the result you wanted last night. We're looking forward to following along. Always happy for you, and, and thank you for making time for us. Enjoy the rest of the way here with Timberwolves Nuggets. You got it, my man. And no reason the Pacers can't make it next season. I think it'll be fun to watch. Hopefully they have good health, continue to add pieces, but no reason they shouldn't be in the postseason next year. Good to be on with you guys. That is Michael Grady. Thank you, Michael. You can follow him on Twitter, at Grady, the TV voice of the Minnesota Timberwolves on Bally Sports North.